0: Hi, everyone. This is your host, Greg Myers, and this episode, number 53, is part of our special series focused on diversity and inclusion. In this series, I will be talking with leaders in the payments industry and maybe some experts from outside of the industry about diversity and inclusion. It has been proven that a diverse workforce and diverse management team leads to increased creativity, better decision making, reduced employee turnover and increased profit as well as many other benefits that we will be talking about. This special series is brought to you by the Wnet and PaySafe. The Wnet or the Women's Network in Electronic Transactions is celebrating 15 years of helping women achieve greater personal success, influence and professional parity in the payments industry. Wnet is a not-for-profit organization with a mission of creating a stronger and more diverse industry by empowering and investing in women. Learn how at wnetonline.org. Paysafe is a leading global specialized payment provider. They've been driving innovation in and around payments for over 20 years all over the globe for both businesses and consumers. Paysafe believes diversity and inclusion is not just a checkbox, but rather a journey in which they are fully committed to being on around the world. Learn more at Paysafe.com. I'm honored to be joined on this fifth episode of our special series about diversity and inclusion by Joe Carella. In fact, this is actually part two of my interview with Joe. If you missed the first part, just visit leadersinpayments.com or any of your favorite podcast apps and search for episode 50. Joe Carella is a professor of global strategy and assistant dean for executive education at the Eller College of Management at the University of Arizona. He has over 20 years of experience in helping executives and corporations in talent development, inclusive workplaces, managing change, strategy formulation, and execution. His academic and research engagements have seen him focus on strategic decision-making, corporate strategy, talent development, and business performance with a variety of corporate clients, including Hershey's, Chevron, Fender Music Instruments Corporation, Intel, BBVA, and Microsoft. He is also responsible for designing and developing and delivering successful executive education programs for global corporations. Joe has been a contributor to Money 2020, a keynote speaker on the state of the industry at the annual Congress of the Forum of European Technology Professionals, the Society for the Plastics Industry, the Association for Talent Development, and Disrupt HR. Joe has been a contributor to the Harvard Business Review, focusing on the challenges of leadership. Joe's specialties include organizational change, talent development, diversity, business strategy, innovation, business intelligence, facilitation, coaching, leadership development, executive education, and global business. As I previously mentioned, this is part two of my interview with Joe. I know you're really going to enjoy this episode, so let's get started. This is another area that in this diversity and inclusion series that we're doing that I like to ask about because I think people can really understand or kind of it resonates is that you have sort of within any organization, the executive level and then kind of mid management level, the people who are, you know, have the teams and then you have the new hires through, you know, the hiring process. So how do these biases and all this tie into diversity and inclusion, how would you talk about like those three distinct groups?
1: Oh, that's great. Each group, and uh, I was kind of referring to the fact that according to where we are at in life, we may be experiencing different biases. One of the most recent pieces of research that I've done is around both uh, seniority level that one has in the organization, as well as the functions and work that need to be done in those organizations? And where are the more likely biases that emerge according to the type of work that needs to get done? So at the executive level, for example, one of the most common biases that I see is confirmation bias. If you think about it, an executive has spent probably 20, 30, 40 years of experience and has seen a lot. And it's natural for that person to try and use all that expertise to their advantage. In some instances, it almost becomes like a gut feeling as opposed to something that they are especially aware of. It becomes so much part of who they are that making decisions based on the experiences that they have becomes second nature. That's all really good. And you don't want to discount all that knowledge. But where confirmation biases can trick us and uh, trip us is whenever we're confronted with turbulent situations or new situations, and we're trying to apply essentially the same filter, the same lens that we've used in the past. Plenty of companies... From Kodak to Blockbuster, for example, are clear examples of organizations where the senior executive team had some strong confirmation biases and was looking at the past rather than looking at the future and looking at kind of existing models for doing business that may not necessarily apply to the new normal, whatever that new normal is that uh, the organization finds itself in. At the manager level, the most common biases that I see are social biases. I tend to see a lot of the groupthink in managerial team. Sometimes this uh, sunflower effect, where if the boss speaks first, then I have to adjust my thinking to reflect and incorporate the thinking of the senior team. That's another aspect where I see biases emerge. And the last one is around career in recruitment. One of the other common biases that I see, either in terms of promotion and advancement of talent, which really speaks to the issue of diversity and inclusion, but also the recruitment. What I see happening a lot is the affinity bias, where I will be looking for people who are like me, that have similar experiences to mine, because I know that I will be more comfortable in working with them. I know that they will be a better fit because I recognize and see them in myself.
0: Okay, that all makes sense. And I know when we talked prior that you had mentioned that you had done some research around biases and financial services. Can you tell us a little bit about that research, maybe compared to other industries? How do we do, you know, some things like that would be great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so... The good news is that it's not like the financial services industry is more biased than uh, than (laughs) others. Well, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's a good thing. Every industry has their own kind of challenges. What I think we need to do is to put some context into the biases that I tend to see more frequently in the financial services industry. And there are two that are especially predominant and potentially disruptive both linked to the concept of second-generation bias. Second-generation bias is essentially bias that has moved from it being about one or two individuals or groups of individuals, but that actually becomes structural to the organization. It becomes embedded in the, I'm going to use a little bit of an academic term, forgive me for that, the cultural artifacts that the organization produces, which is processes, procedures, the formal and informal culture, the values that the company espouses. All of those then shift from being about the bias that I think I have when I'm making decisions to structural biases that make it easy for some people to fit and be part of the in-group and maybe more difficult for others who then become the outgroup if that makes sense. The two major biases that I see are a technology bias which I will talk about and affinity bias that I can also kind of give you a little bit of a perspective. And I think that I can make those come to life with a couple of examples if I may.
0: Sure.
1: I'll explain first. So technology bias is whenever we think that we are getting rid of uh, bias by allowing technology to do the decision-making work for us. And the simple question to ask ourselves in an environment like that, where, for example, we create, I don't know, algorithms or we have maybe some tech solutions, tech gauges, proxies, whenever we create a tech solution that incorporates some elements of decision-making, the thinking is, It has nothing to do with me. It's the technology that's making choices. But who designed the technology in the first place? It's us. It's humans, Mm -hmm. right? right? And so inevitably, technology can be just as biased as humans are. One example that's been in the news quite a bit last fall is the Apple card, the credit card that Apple launched. A few couples started to, so husband and wife, started to apply for the credit card. And by the way, one of those couples was Steve Wozniak and his wife, Steve Wozniak, the Apple co-founder. And what they found was that their female partners were given much lower credit limits, (laughs) even though they were sharing assets. In some instances, the wives had even higher credit scores than their husbands did. So this big bruja kind of emerged with people saying, what's wrong? And uh, (laughs) at Apple, no one seemed able to describe what was going on. They finally came out and said, oh, well, there is an algorithm that makes a decision. It's not us. <laughs> and uh, when, asked, <laughs> when asked about the algorithm, the Apple people couldn't really explain it because guess what? The people that had created the algorithm were the people at Goldman Sachs, the issuing bank for uh, the Apple card. And <laughs> the response from Goldman Sachs initially wasn't especially strong. In the sense that they said that there wasn't any gender bias in the algorithm, but they couldn't explain why. They just said, we have designed this algorithm to be gender bias free, and so there isn't any. When they were sort of challenged a little bit more, what they said was, and I quote, the algorithm has been vetted for potential bias by a third party. Moreover, it doesn't even use gender as an input. (laughs) And the subtext of that was, how could the bank discriminate if no one ever tells it which customers are women and which are men? (laughs) Their explanation is misleading on many levels. For one thing, it's impossible to filter out for uh, all of the biases that are out there. We just can't. We're human beings. We're not perfect. We can never really kind of think through the complexity that's required to filter out all the possible biases and make everything around us objectively functioning. So the algorithms, in fact, can discriminate on gender, even if they're programmed to be blind to that variable. If you think about it, you don't have to create an exact correlation between a certain bias and the data that you collect. You can have a correlation in the same way that, for example, street address is often a proxy for race. So previous purchases point, for example, to gender choices. And it just doesn't provide what I would consider to be the right response. And the fact that they are saying, here's why it's also misleading. The fact that they're saying, we don't capture their information, therefore we are being blind to gender, makes it in fact harder for a company to detect, prevent, and reverse bias on exactly the variable that they are trying to pretend that they're blind to, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, makes sense.
1: The other type of bias that I have seen. The financial services industry is one that it's connected to an unfortunate episode. And I'm sure that the CEO of Wells Fargo, spring of 2020, did not mean to kind of find himself into the situation that he did. But essentially, he was kind of on the back of the events in Wisconsin he was essentially trying to justify the position of the bank around its recruitment strategies and why Wells Fargo did not have as many African-American executives. And his response was, again, I quote, while he made sound like an excuse, the unfortunate reality is that there is a very limited pool of black talent to recruit from. That may be the experience that he was perceiving, and that's the part around bias that we need to be careful. But it's not necessarily the experience of the many senior executives, African-American executives that have applied for jobs at Wells Fargo or that have not been successfully promoted, that question why that is the case. So that speaks to me to this affinity bias and the fact that we tend to see the world through the lens of the people that surround us. And if I feel like I have enough people that are different from me, therefore I'm good, <laughs> that mm-hmm. doesn't really answer to the question of what dimension of diversity am I not really looking for. And it's a specially relevant question to ask, I think, at a time when I think we we all feel like we are forgotten and not taken into account. I think that for uh, senior executives right now, the issue of white male, for example, feeling like they are not being considered is an issue that should be considered just as much as the issue of all the other groups that they should be worrying about. The point is that whether we like it or not, we're all biased and we all look at reality through those lenses that seem most natural to us and that feel most comfortable.
0: Yeah, so how do companies create diversity and inclusion programs and how do they know if and when they're truly working? Is this just a journey that we're on and it never ends? Have you seen companies that are doing the right things and they see the right results? You know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah,
1: I know what you're saying.
0: And you kind of answered parts of it, which
1: is that, unfortunately, it's a journey that we're on. We are all naturally biased. And like I said, once we resolve one bias, another one emerges. It's just about awareness. And it's about not being defensive around what we do not know. None of us are perfect. None of us really know how to tackle situations in an objective manner. But what, for me, really speaks to your point around how do I differentiate whether I am doing the right thing or not? I'll tell you that what Wells Fargo plans to do, for me, it's not the right solution. So what they have decided to do is to tie incentives to diversity goals so that if you're senior and you're promoting people who are different from you, then you're going to get a reward. For me, that seems like a perverse way to go about it, because for me, the much larger issue is one of engagement, transparency, and essentially cultural transformation. How do we make our workplace more inclusive? How do we make people feel that no matter what their experience is, no matter where they come from, they can belong to the organization and we value their thinking? That, for me, is the part that I think is missing and too often, I find organizations are not engaged in uh, the right conversation. For me, the incentives or simply doing DNI courses are good, but they're not kind of part of the right solution. DNI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Programs, should not be an add on to a company's initiative. The company should be asking itself, how do I take advantage of the opportunities that come from having diversity of thought in my organization? And diversity of thought, from a certain perspective, also transcends kind of the natural boundaries that we like to impose around diversity itself. It's more about how do we bring as many different points of view and harness and engage as many different points of view in the organization as we possibly can. I did a little bit of research on this topic just because I wanted to prove the um, business aspect to it. I did a little piece of research, I think two years ago in 2018, on diversity on uh, the boards of the organization and the innovation intensity that those companies experienced. The more diverse their boards were, the more likely it was that the output of the organization was more diverse, because that sort of cascaded down within the organization itself. So the critical part here is, how do you engage with people that are different from you, and how do you use that as a source of value generation? whether it is internally in the relationship that you create for the organization, but also in terms of the actual practical business results that you're going to get out of it.
0: Right. Well, Joe, we've covered a lot of information. It's been very interesting. It's very intellectual subject that we've been talking about. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss or go over or have any final thoughts for the audience before we wrap up?
1: I think I'm going to leave you with a couple of thoughts. One is, if you've done the little exercise that Greg and I did on the circle of trust, and you feel a little bit uncomfortable because the people around you are very similar to you, and you don't have enough diversity, or to the other extreme of it, if you've listened to this podcast and thought, "Mm, no, I'm good, you know, I know what I'm doing, I have the right people on my team, and I think we've got uh, DNI covered because I have a, a chief diversity officer that I can ask questions to. Well, <laughs> what you're experiencing is what it's like to be confronted with your own biases. So my suggestion is don't run away and be concerned with them. Seek opinions that are different than yours so that you can test your uh, supposed objectivity or the panic that this this Mm -hmm. podcast may have stricken in you and know that, like everyone else, we all suffer from biases. We all, in that sense, live in glass houses, so throwing rock at others, it's not a good idea. The trick is recognizing the value of our biases because they help us, right? They make our decision-making faster. But also recognize their limitations, especially when we are confronted with new situations where the most immediate instinct is to be fearful, to be concerned, just be on the lookout for those situations. I'm currently writing a practical handbook for uh, rooting bias out of meetings, but there's plenty of good insight out there on uh, how to get bias out of meetings and uh, out of business situations. Also, be on the lookout for uh, the book Weapons of Math, and it's M-A-T-H, Destruction by Kathy O'Neill. She's a former Wall Street quant where uh, she describes many situations where proxies and technologies have helped to create, in fact, horribly biased and unfair automated systems, automated processes not just impact in uh, finance, which is the area of our expertise, but also in education, criminal justice, and uh, healthcare, among others. So it's worth reading that book.
0: Okay, and is any of this research that you've done or talked about, is it somewhere that people could actually get to it? Yeah,
1: they can, and they can do so by going on edu. They'll be able to find lots of different pieces of insight that we've shared over time, and they can always
0: reach out to me. Okay. What would be the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: The best way would be to email me. Can I share my email address? Absolutely. Okay. The email is carella, C-A-R-E-L-L-A, at Arizona.edu. That's pretty straightforward.
0: Okay. And we'll include those links in the show notes so that people can get to them that way as well. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate all your insights on this important topic. And thank you again for your time.
1: Hey, thank you, Greg. And to your listeners, be on the lookout for your biases. They're (laughs) always there.
0: Yes, they are. Thank you so much, Joe. (laughs) Thank you, Greg. That was Joe Carella, professor of global strategy and the assistant dean for executive education at the Eller College of Management at the University of Arizona. This wraps up my two part series with Joe. We will be back with our diversity and inclusion series after the new year, with the next special episode on January the 7th. We wouldn't be able to bring you this special series without the support of our sponsors, the WNET and PaySafe. Searching for a new job in the new year? Preparing for your next career move? WNET's Career Center helps you get control of your professional development with career tools and advanced job searches. It's free to all job seekers. Just go to wnetonline.org and select the Job Board and Career Development under the Programs tab. WNET wishes you health, happiness, and success in 2021. And Paysafe invites you to learn more about Paysafe, their offerings, international culture, and unique team by visiting Paysafe.com. Learn more about the entire diversity and inclusion series at leadersinpayments.com.